Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. History, J.I. Packer has quipped, is his story. Or as C.S. Lewis declared, history is a story written by the finger of God. There is not even the tiniest wrinkle in time that does not bear the obvious imprint of God's good providence. Consequently, history is an elaborate, exciting, and enchanting story from start to finish. Sadly, you can hardly tell that by looking at the average history textbook these days. If history is, as Stephen Mansfield has asserted, more than dates and dead people, you would never know it based on much of the printed evidence. There are very few things that modern historians agree on, but when it comes to God, there is sudden consensus. The once dominant view that history is not merely the record of things that happened in the past, but is a kind of moral philosophy revealing the redemptive purposes of God, is fiercely resisted in our day. It is too easy for our academic experts to forget or to try to ignore the fact that the doings of man are in the hands of a gracious and sovereign God. History is full of the indecipherable mysteries of providence, and thus any attempt to reduce the process of its legends, epics, movements, heroes, and villains to a mere mechanical or material science can be desultory, boorish, and more than a little misleading. No wonder so many students hate the subject of history, Christopher Dawson has written. Their teachers only tell them the boring bits about conquerors and movements and gross national products whilst leaving out all the good bits about heroes and poets and things that race the heart. History overflows with rip-roaring, chest-thumping, and tear-jerking adventure stories. It is a romantic moral drama. It not only enables us to recall the great births, deaths, and world-altering events, but it also provides us with tantalizing details of some of the most important lessons and profoundest inspirations that the long legacy of human civilization has to offer. Thus, history most assuredly should be told with a measure of passion, unction, and verve. And the truth is, though, the history of England, Scotland, and Ireland can hardly be told any other way. I mean, think of all of the blood and thunder, the faith and chivalry, the pluck and fury, the mystery and intrigue in the stories of Arthur and Alfred of Chaucer and Churchill, of Shakespeare and Spurgeon, of Cranmer and Cromwell. One of the abiding historical legends about Britain maintains that it was Joseph of Arimathea who brought the gospel message of Jesus first to the islands. 
Joseph was, according to all four gospel accounts, the wealthy member of the Jewish Sanhedrin who, after the crucifixion, went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. He then had the body wrapped in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, hewn from the rock just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Later, according to some traditions, it was Philip the Evangelist who sent Joseph out across Europe carrying with him the Holy Grail, the cup used during the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples. Thus, that precious relic was preserved during the Roman imperial destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Joseph's travels eventually brought him to Avalon in the west country of England, and it was there that he built a church and purportedly the very first monastic community, Glastonbury Abbey. And it was there that he hid the Holy Grail in a well, now called the Glastonbury Abbey Chalice Well. In time, the legends assert, Joseph converted thousands to the Christian faith, including Ethelbert, the Somerset king. Now, all these stories are shrouded in the mists of folklore and are connected to all of the Arthurian legends of Avalon, Camelot, the Round Table, and the quest for the Holy Grail. But despite historical uncertainty and the skepticism of most modern historians, the legends persist. Myth, as J.R.R. Tolkien argued, is a truth that cannot be explained by mere fact. Myth may actually be a greater truth than anything else in a verifiable and utilitarian historical narrative. Our time, sick nigh unto death, a day of utilitarian and literalness, cries out for myth and parable. Russell Kirk has said, great myths are not merely susceptible of rational interpretation. They are truth, transcendent truth. Indeed, as G.K. Chesterton declared, imaginative does not mean imaginary. It does not follow that it is all uh, that the moderns call subjective when they mean false. Every true artist does feel, consciously or unconsciously, that he's touching transcendental truths, that is, images of shadows, of things seen through the veil. In other words, uh, the natural mystic does not know that there is something there, something behind the clouds or within the trees, but he believes that the pursuit of beauty is the way to find out, to find it, that imagination is a sort of incantation that can call it up. Thus, myth and history are not in opposition, but are rather tied together. The reason for that, according to historian Christopher Dawson, is the old road of myth carries us back not merely for centuries, but for thousands of years the road by which every people has traveled and from which the beginnings of every literature have come. Alas, most modern historians, and in fact most of the rest of us, have rejected the importance of myth. 
For we moderns, imbued as we are with Enlightenment pragmatism, myth is a lie. One cannot, after all, see, feel, smell, taste, or hear myth. It remains just beyond our material and physical senses, and we most certainly cannot scientifically verify it. But because myth is essential to man, as Chesterton rightly contended, modernity has simply watered down all reality, creating in its place bogus and cheap counterfeit myths. Legends, fables, and myths persist. And this probably should not surprise us. According to Chesterton, it is quite easy to see why a legend is treated and ought to be treated more respectfully than a book of history. The legend is generally made by the majority of the people in the village who are sane. The book is generally made by the one man in the village who is mad. Sadly, it is usually the popular stories that are left out of our popular histories. It may well be that some of those tales are tall tales, but then uh, the characters of Arthur, Alfred, and Robin Hood were tall enough to warrant taller tales than those forgotten folk who clutter the corridors of Westminster or patter in the warrens of the local council schools. In any case, it is quite evident that long before any verifiable histories of England, Scotland, and Ireland could be written, the gospel was already flourishing there. A stable ecclesiastical framework, an effective communications network, and an internationally recognized structure existed within just a few generations of the apostles. And all of this is essential for us to remember as we, in our own time, take up the task of resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.